This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at CosmicPotato.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I just want to take a minute here at the beginning of the program to thank my guests for being here. Uh, Scott Madison was here, Rick was here, and Christopher DeFilippis was also here. And I just want to explain a, a couple of things. The audio for this episode sounds a little bit different, and the reason for that is because my Skype connection really took a dive on me for this episode, and about halfway through the episode, um, Skype started cutting in and out, and you would hear part of what a person was saying, and then you wouldn't hear the, the rest of their sentence, and I thought that I was going to have to edit out big chunks of this episode. We talked for an hour, and I thought I was going to have to cut out 20 minutes of it because of how bad it was. But thankfully, Christopher DeFilippis was recording, and I was able to take his audio and edit it and turn it into the episode. And so it sounds a little different than it normally does. Uh, My mic is a little bit off compared to what it is on most episodes because I'm actually being recorded on his Skype connection instead of recording my actual microphone straight into my computer's hard drive. But it does, I mean, I'm not saying that it sounds bad. It sounds fine. I'm just explaining why it sounds a little different. The second thing I want to tell you is that uh, Rick had to leave before the end of the show. So you'll notice at the end of the show, I'll start saying goodbye to everybody and I don't say anything to Rick and he never responds. That's because he had to duck out uh, about three-fourths of the way through the show and he didn't want to interrupt um whoever was speaking at the time. So he just sent us a text message on Skype and told us, Hey, I've got to duck out and I'll talk to you guys next week. So that's just a couple of explanations that I wanted to make for the show. Other than that, it was a great episode. It was, like I said, Scott Madison was here. Uh, he hasn't been on the show in a while. It was good to have him back. Rick was here and, uh, Christopher D. Philippus is the co-host of the 11, well, the 11, 63 podcast. He did, uh, a while back, uh, now he's doing the Castle Rock TV podcast, and he's doing that with Skipper Martin. And uh, we had just finished recording an episode of the Simply Syndicated Discovery After Show. Now, if you guys aren't listening to that, I'd really like for you to check that out. That's over at simplysyndicated.com, which is a network that... That network is really the reason why I get, got into podcasting. I started listening to those shows when I first got my first MP3 player and really fell in love with a lot of those shows and got to know some of the people that are on those podcasts. And it kind of steered me into doing uh, this show. So I've wanted to work with Simply Syndicated for a long time. And I finally found a project that I was able to do. And what we do is every week we watch Star Trek Discovery. And then we talk about the episode. That's pretty much it. And we take uh, listener feedback and, and all that kind of stuff. We're going to give away some prizes. But it's it's on iTunes. I mean, you can find it there like you can every podcast. But it's also at simplysyndicated.com. It's right there on the front page. So uh, check that out. It's called Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. And uh, I'm really having a good time doing that podcast. And I'd like for you guys to come and check it out. As for this podcast, of course, you'll always find us at CosmicPotato.com, iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, we're on SoundCloud now, so check us out. Send us some feedback. Mail at CosmicPotato.com. We're on Facebook, and we're on Twitter. And uh, that's enough of me talking. Let's listen to the episode. Hello, everybody. This is Ming Chen from Anthony's Comic Book Men. My favorite podcast. Even better than my own. Even better than all of Kevin's. Even better than that Mark Marin guy or that Joe Rogan or the Nerdist. Screw all of them. It's all about Cosmic Potato, everybody. Listen, love it, and then listen again. We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. <laughs> Big cracking deal. 
the change, you filthy animal. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast. My name is Sean Ray, and John is not sitting across the virtual table from me tonight, but I have three guests on the in the virtual studio. I have a uh, friend of the show, Rick. How are you, sir? I just realized this is my third podcast tonight. <laughs> I'm a little brain dead right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're a podcast maniac. Uh, That's one word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a couple of guys that have been on the show before, but haven't been here in a while. I have uh, Chris Christopher DeFilippis. How are you, sir? Good, Sean. How are you? It's great to be back. Doing wonderful. And Scott Madison, how are you? This is my second podcast of the night with a job interview this afternoon, and I worked last night. Okay, okay, I win. Uh, This is my second podcast of the day, but my fourth of the week, and I was up until 2 o'clock in the morning recording my last one last night, and then I worked a 10-hour shift today. Okay, who's who? Who wins? <laughs> Nobody I, I wins have, in this scenario. Nobody. <laughs> I have not like, been. I have not been asleep since ten o'clock yesterday morning. So, <laughs> Sean, you win. Your show, you win. Some battles you don't want to win. Congratulations. <laughs> so, uh, so we're going to do a general discussion episode tonight. Uh, talking about some of the stuff that we've watched over the last uh, few weeks uh, since the last time that we actually recorded an episode. I know you, you hear an episode just about every week, but they don't. we don't always record them week by week. Uh, next week, you'll probably be hearing uh, our Halloween episode, which was actually recorded about a month ago. <laughs> and uh, that's just the way it works sometimes in podcasting. But um, but I do. there are several things that have been on TV and in the movies lately that we haven't had a chance to talk about, and I want to get into that. But before we do, uh, we were recording an episode of the Simply Syndicated Discovery After Show just a few minutes ago, and... Christopher wrote a quantum leap novel about what was it, about twenty years ago, Chris? Yeah, twenty hundred years ago. Who's counting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Scott is a big quantum leap fan, and he has co-hosted a quantum leap podcast in the past. And uh, you had something you wanted to talk to Chris about. I I did. I've been excited about this for a while, and and we still have. We always have back of the mind plans to return to that quantum leap podcast and, and, uh, and keep on doing it. And before, if we ever go ahead, before you, you, you ask me what you want to ask me, can I ask you something? Uh-huh. What, what was your quantum leap podcast? What was it about? And when did you do it? Um, it's, I, I want to say that, um, it was about a year ago when we, uh, kind of, we, we lost our scheduling groove, uh, of doing the show. So I uh, is around a year, year and a half ago, uh, roughly is when we did it. Um, it was actually a spinoff of another simply syndicated show. Um, Richard would host, um, remote patrol where they would, uh, take an episode or sometimes a multi-part, uh, podcast episode to discuss a particular television series. Um, I know they did, uh, Sherlock, uh, X files, mm-hmm. um, Louis, yeah, Louis, yeah, yes, and it was a different television series uh, per episode, and that podcast actually spun off two series. Uh, One was Remote Patrol, Trust No One, where he and Jason Hawk discussed the X Files, and then there was Remote Patrol, Oh Boy, where he (laughs) and I would discuss Quantum Leap, and it was rather like um, the Discovery After Show, um, and. uh, uh, Rick's podcast, The Seventh Chevron, we would do an episode-by-episode discussion of Quantum Leap, starting with the pilot, and every week we move on to the next episode and talk about what happened in the show, what we liked, what we didn't like, so on and so forth. There wasn't but a whole was- lot of structure to it. We we planned to introduce more structure to our show once we moved on to season two of Quantum Leap. We just didn't get quite that far. Wasn't it? It was, it was for uh, Simply Everything subscribers, wasn't it? Yes, yes it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we we put our show behind a paywall. Sorry. Oh, I see. Maybe that's why I hadn't heard of it because I'm familiar and I still work with the people on the Quantum Leap podcast, the current Quantum Leap podcast. And that's how I got started in podcasting, to be honest. So I was surprised that there was another Quantum Leap show that had escaped my notice, but maybe the paywall thing is what did it. Yeah, it, it was, I, I think it was fairly under the radar. Honestly, I'm not surprised that you 
aren't familiar with it. <laughs> well, just don't take don't take my experience as uh, as as indicative of what your audience might have been because I am sort of new to podcasting. I only started listening to podcasts maybe two two and a half years ago. And the only podcast I listened to for a long time was the Quantum Leap podcast because it, I was just in like blinders. I'm like, oh, I like, I like Quantum Leap, and there are you know umpteen episodes that I can listen to while I'm walking my dog. And it wasn't until I got caught up with that I was like, oh wait a minute, I have nothing to listen to now. Are there other podcasts <laughs> I could listen to? Oh and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I might be a special case, is all I'm saying. Um, I lost where I was. Yes. Um, so. Well, we did our show, like I say, about a year, year and a half ago, and we did episode one of our podcast where we discussed the pilot for Quantum Leap. And the pilot was rather like Discovery. It was two episodes put together as a two-hour pilot, which means when we did our episode two of the podcast, we were discussing episode three of the series. Mm -hmm. So to avoid being one number off for the rest of our run, for our uh, third episode, we didn't discuss an episode of Quantum Leap, but instead we took the time to talk about what I would do if I was given the opportunity to make a new um, continuation series for Quantum Leap on television. So it would, um, be, it would be a continuation. It wouldn't be a reboot? The, no, no reboot. No, okay. no. This would, this would definitely be a full-on continuation Um not picking up the story where it left off, but still picking up the story. Um, it was it was during a time where I found myself, I don't know why, but picking a lot of older properties that I enjoyed from several years ago and saying, since everything is a reboot or a relaunch on television and in movies these days, what if they actually did it well? instead of doing really shitty jobs of rebooting stuff. <laughs> yeah. Don't, we, don't so, we ask that about every reboot we've ever seen? Yeah, pr pr pretty much. <laughs> so I asked myself, if we tried to bring back Quantum Leap, which was a wonderful show that everyone should love, if, if the studios and the networks had their way, it would be a full-on reboot, and it would be slick and stylized and have you know young, attractive people and they would miss the, the whole point of the original show and try to make cookie-cutter procedural television for modern networks. But what if we could continue the story from the original Quantum Leap series? Now, um, in the final episode of Quantum Leap, they had the title cards at the end, which, as it turns out, uh, Donald Belisario didn't know about. He didn't sign off on these uh, um, on those little snippets the, yeah those. and they show because they spelled sam's name wrong in the in the original <laughs> nbc run they did yeah they spelled it with two uh with one t or I yeah think two t's i forget and i wrote the freaking book i don't remember but anyway <laughs> <laughs> and and those title cards stated very clearly that dr samuel beckett never returned home spoilers much <laughs> for a, the way, I kinda, a, I, a 30, 25 year old scene yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that went through, but <laughs> <laughs> by the way, everyone, some mild spoilers for Quantum Leap. Um, he, he never goes home again. So I started cooking up the, the plot of what could we do if we wanted to pick it up. And I, I'm envisioning the pilot episode in my head. You get, you get one man on his own in a, in a large uh, science-looking facility. He's sneaking around. Um, he is being very covert. He's avoiding uh, any other staff members in, in the facility. He gets to a, a large room, which fans of Quantum Leap will recognize as this is the um, this is the Quantum Leap Accelerator. Okay. And everything looks rather futuristic. It's, it's futuristic compared to our modern 2017 view. And he gets into the room. He activates the accelerator. He's being chased. People are trying to stop him. He jumps into the into the quantum leap accelerator and vanished. Now we switch scenes. We get a, uh, um, a slug comes up at the bottom of the screen saying uh, what, whatever year the show is being made. So it's a 2017. You get a very similar facility, but it's obviously uh, in disuse. 
it's dusty, it's shuttered, it's it's not active, and you have one man in an admiral's uniform wandering through the room, just kind of taking a, a nostalgic tour. And then you hear the familiar sound of a quantum leap from the original series. And there's a blue glow. The man turns around. We see Dean Stockwell looking at a man who has just appeared behind him. It's the man from that first scene in the episode. And he starts walking towards uh, Dean Stockwell and says, Admiral Calavici, my name is Christopher Chapel. I work for the Project Quantum Leap International Committee. I'm here to help you find Dr. Samuel Beckett. Credits. Hmm. And oh, oh, go ahead. I, I, I got more. Say, I got more, but but I think in. it'd be uh, it, it'd be hard to get Dean Stockwell <laughs> yeah, to do it. Point, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, he's an I don't think he's at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, that's a shame. And he wouldn't have to. He wouldn't have to be in every episode. He would, you know just show up once in a while. Um, but uh, whether we have Dean Stockwell or not. The the main point is we have someone from the future who comes back to modern time to help Project Quantum Leap find Sam Beckett, who has long since disappeared. He continued leaping. Right. He continued leaping after the end of the series, as he had done during the series. Someone shows up in the waiting room. Al goes out as a hologram and helps Sam with the leap. He leaps out. Move on. And throughout the course of the first season of the show don't know what order everything would go in but at some point we would find out that one day sam leapt into you know just a person and that person shows up in the waiting room ziggy says sam has shown up at this time in this place but al cannot zero in on him al can't find sam shortly thereafter the person in the waiting room leaves out of the waiting room and is not replaced by anyone and no one ever shows up and they never find Sam again. Well, that's, so, that's pretty much what would have happened at the project during Mirror Image. That is what happened at the project during Mirror Image, because that, that's how Al knew that wherever he was, he was, he himself. was himself. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's what happened when he left. See, it's, it's been so long that I, there yeah, are but the a thing lot is, of What I loved elements. about your premise is that the end of the series, it presupposes that Sam never returned home because he chose to continue leaping. And mm-hmm. that's why he didn't come home. And that's why I loved – everybody hates that series finale. I think it's one of the best series finales ever because it stays so true to Sam's character. He's right. so I, altruistic. I, I like it. I yeah. like that. And, and the fact that they don't know where he is any longer because he's controlling his leaps, how are they going to track him? So if you have this guy saying, I'm here to help you find him, that to me is a very intriguing premise. Mm-hmm. But and, then how do you track Sam? And does this guy just is he replacing anybody when he leaps? Is there a waiting room? Like, how did, is he controlling his own leaps? Is well, he leaping the, the, as himself? It's I have a lot this, of questions that people don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm sure. <laughs> Christopher Chapel, when he leaps from the future back to 2017, he leaps his entire body. Uh, it, it's it's time. He's not leaping into a person. It's just straight up time travel because gotcha. he has found he has found a way to leap from one accelerator to either another accelerator or the same accelerator in a different time without having to replace anybody. So that's how he gets back to 2017. Now, how is he going to track where Sam is? He has proof from the readings that he's taken in the future. When Quantum Leap is a large uh, organization with multiple leapers all trying to do good throughout time, that I haven't thought too much through on how they would do it in the future. But he can tell from their monitoring of history that there are changes being affected that are not from their leapers. I see. It has all the hallmarks of Sam is still out there leaping on his own, still doing the job. Gotcha. So how do we find him? So he, there's also another piece of information that Chapel has that he brings to 2017, which is as we are out trying to do good, we find that a lot of the things gone wrong that we're trying to turn right are because Lothos is still out there and still operating. Okay, so we're going the whole evil leaper route too. Yeah. Okay. And we will eventually discover that the reason that Sam stopped sending people back to the waiting room is at one point Lothos attempted to capture Dr. Beckett 
And the only way he was able to escape is Sam was able to leap his consciousness out of his body. So now he inhabits the actual body of the person that he's leaping into. Their consciousness is set aside and he's in control for the duration of his leap. He does what needs to get done and then he leaps out. Having done that, he's able to evolve and expand himself so he no longer needs Ziggy. He can guide his own leaps. He goes where he wants to go. He is able to instantly figure out what's what the the circumstance is that he needs to change. He does the job, and then he leaves again. So his leaps are very uh, efficient, very quick, and he's just bang, 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 doing good throughout time. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, Lothos has the body of Dr. Beckett and downloads his artificial intelligence into Sam's body. All right, we just and went now, down a, a quantum <laughs> rabbit hole here. <laughs> uh-huh. So now, Lo- now Lothos in the body of Dr. Beckett is managing his own evil quantum leap project and has multiple leapers out doing Can bad. Can I ask you a question? Does mm-hmm. Lothos grow a goatee on Sam's body? <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if you're writing the show, yes. Okay, awesome. All right. Just to give a little so, and and that is how Chapel is going to try to track Sam because he knows that Sam is actively working to repair the damage that Lothos is doing. So if he can track Lothos and his evil leapers, then he can use that as a way to try to zero in on where Sam is. Gotcha. Now he doesn't he doesn't necessarily know that Sam is uh, a consciousness without a body. He's he just knows that Sam's out there and is trying to find him. Okay. So the the episode to episode premise of the show because we still need to have leaps is chapel becomes the, the Sam of the show where he will leap, but now he, he is able to target his leaps. So chapel can leap into a particular person, particular time and place, do what needs to be done and investigate to try to figure out where Sam is, how I'm not exactly sure that's a detail I, I haven't you. worked out and he's going to need a hologram. And Dean Stockwell is has aged out of that role, so we will have Sammy Joe right. step up and there. Yep, step up and be his hologram. She will either already know or be informed at the beginning of the series who her father is, Doctor Beckett. Right. And having the both of them, and knowing that they they can execute a leap and then return to New Mexico at the end of it, that means that in any given episode, Chapel or Sammy Joe can be the leaper and then the other will be their hologram. I got you. I got you because they don't have to worry about being lost in time. Right. They can always just go and target it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's going to be a, a mission and then back a mission, then back again right. and whatever kind of fun you want to have on all these missions while they're tracking down Sam. Eventually we get to the season finale where they learn that, um, Lothos is, um, operating very strongly in the future. The time that chapel came from, so he and Sammy Joe, rather than leap, they time travel, accelerator to accelerator, to the future. They track down where Lothos is is operating from. They subdue all his leapers, at which point the Project Quantum Leap International Committee will come and take them away and incarcerate them, because that's what they do with evil leapers in the future. And then they learn the, the body of Dr. Beckett is Lothos. And now they have to figure out, what are we going to do? Well, that's the point where the consciousness of Dr. Beckett leaps into chapel and says, that's my body. I want it back. They'll have some type of some type of of conflict or fight between Sam and Lothos. Lothos will know he's about to lose and will jump into his accelerator and disappear. So now we don't know where Lothos is. Next season, we'll try to find him again. Then we get a prime opportunity for Sam in Chapel's body to turn and meet his daughter for the first time, say, I'm sorry, I've been gone for so long, but now I have to go. I have to, I have to find him. I have to go after Lothos and stop him. I hope we'll see each other again. He will turn to Al, who is in that season finale, the hologram for Chapel and Sammy Joe. They will have a nice moment together because they haven't seen each other in decades. Right. Still can't touch. Right. And then Sam will leave Chapel's body. So he's off pursuing Lothos on his own. Gotcha. As and we think, okay. Yeah. And we think, okay, so that's a nice quiet ending to, to the season. 
until Al in the imaging chamber says, wait a minute, something's wrong. Imaging chamber door opens. We hear the sound of an explosion and the hologram winks out. So something just happened back in New Mexico in 2017. We got to go figure out what it is. They head for the accelerator so they can time travel back to 2017. Before they can do that, a person appears in the accelerator. It's Aaliyah, the evil leaper from season five. But she's good now. Well, not only. Right. Well, I I say the evil leaper for people who don't remember who Aaliyah is. So Aaliyah shows up and Sammy Joe and Chapel both recognize her, know who she is. They say, Aaliyah, where'd you come from? She says, I'm not Aaliyah. It's me, Ziggy. You can't go. (laughs) I'm just confused now because I always thought of Lothos as a machine intelligence like Ziggy. So how can, how can exactly? Well, we, we would, we would figure that out in, (laughs) in in the the course, in the course of breaking the season, we figure that out. Gotcha. So it's just throwing in new elements, giving Lothos a body, that being Sam's body. And then Aaliyah shows up, but it's not Aaliyah. It's Ziggy having taken over Aaliyah's body. Rather like Lothos took over Sam's body and Ziggy saying, you can't go back to 2017. There's nothing to go back to. What does it mean? I don't know, but it seems like a fun way to end a season. Gotcha. (laughs) Well, you've certainly thought this out quite a bit. There are a few, a few elements of that I came up with last night after re-listening to the episode where I pitched the idea. Um, I got you. I got you. It was most of what I had in that original pitch, and then a few details that I added. But it's it's the type of season long story that seems to be a pre a prerequisite in yeah. modern television. You need season long arcs. You need series long arcs. So right. I mean, you got but, that covered nine ways to Sunday. And at the same time, it does offer the the episode to episode procedural element that they also want. Mm-hmm. Um, I I consider Burn Notice to be. A prime example of this, where the first scene of the episode deals with their season-long arc, and then you have like two acts of the that particular episode story. One scene about the season-long arc. The rest of the episode is about the episode story, and then one scene at the end dealing with the arc, and then you move on to the next episode. So yes, you have a story that is stretching out through the entire season of Burn Notice, but it's only like three scenes per episode. Mm-hmm. I, I, w- I wish they had given the arc more time. But at least it, it's it's embracing what has already come and not just being a straight reboot. Yeah, I, th- this is what I wish that they would do with relaunches of this type is instead of rewriting the story, trying to reinvent the wheel of of whatever property they're they're uh, relaunching, make it a story that. And some people might say that this would alienate uh, viewers who didn't watch the original mm-hmm. show, and. I don't really know a good way around it. That's the the snooty fan in me that says, "Well, then you should go back and watch the original right, show." If right. you want to it's hard to sell something. Well, here's I, I I've done an, uh, a radio piece on this, and I still maintain it. It's actually more true now than it was when I wrote the piece about five years ago. I think now is the exact wrong time to try to reboot Quantum Leap because of the current TV landscape. Everything is so dark and conflicted, and there's been the rise of the anti-hero, and the the premiere of Discovery shows that people want darker, more conflict storytelling that is, um, I would say, a, a, a bit more complex than you got in a regular Quantum Leap episode. And to quote myself, Sam was fundamentally a good guy trying to do the right thing. And Mm -hmm. I think invariably any reboot in the current TV environment would necessitate him choosing between the lesser of two evils. Well, if you save this person, well, then this person's life is going to go to heck. But if you don't save this person, they're going to die. So what do we do, Sam? And I think that that's what Quantum Leap would become, and it would lose a lot of its heart and a lot of the stuff that made it Quantum Leap because it was just about telling nice stories in very small ways. And changing mm-hmm. lives for the better, you know, one life at a time. Um, you have thought it out much more than Don Belisario ever did with the way, <laughs> <laughs> with the way that you want to progress through the seasons, through the arcs. That might. Just I'm going to hold on to that for yeah. for 
for months. I'm going to be holding on to that one sentence. <laughs> well, it's, but it's the truth. And, you know, if you want, I could ask Albie, who hosts the Quantum Leap podcast, if he could uh, get Deborah Pratt in touch with you. And maybe you could talk to Deborah Pratt, who was the co-creator and uh, executive producer on the show. So she wrote some of my favorite episodes, too. But she talks to them over there. But she's been trying to get a Quantum Leap thing going herself for a number I'm, of I'm, years with Sammy Joe as uh, the Leaper. I'm and, trying not to squee. Yeah. At the notion of a co-creator probably <laughs> talking to me. <laughs> Deborah's very approachable. She's very friendly. Um, honestly, I don't know if Albie would try to set that up for you, but um, no one Albie, he would. He's he's a friendly guy. But the thing is, it's it's so caught up now in rights. Who owns it? They don't want to do uh, – like Don – this is going back to 09. I saw him speak at a convention that I was a guest at. It was Quantum Leap 09. It was like I think the 20th anniversary and he's saying that NBC owns the rights and they don't want to do a series, but Don doesn't want to do a TV movie. So they're basically at an impasse and neither neither side seems to be budging, you know? Yeah. And even Scott has said, he said right at that panel, he said, you know, you do know if you get Quantum Leap again, Dean and I aren't going to be in it. We're too old. They're not going to want us. It's going to be somebody else. So in my mind, Quantum Leap is best left as a memory because – it was it was perfect for what it was. There were some crappy episodes, there were some convenient mm-hmm. episodes, but at least when you when you think about it, you think about it fondly. And right. there's nothing to have come in and and sullied it. I mean, for every Battlestar Galactica, you know, that's that's the exception to the rule. Yeah. Like I I I personally wouldn't want to see Quantum Leap rebooted, but I would read the hell out of the fan fiction that you write based on those premises that you just gave me, <laughs> because I love to get into the weeds like that, and I think that, that that's really intriguing. What that, that might be the way to go, and instead yeah. of a TV series, maybe, maybe a book series. Yeah. And when I was putting together that particular pitch, um, I was very careful to to make sure that the recognizable elements would be there: um, the accelerator chamber and Ziggy. And Al and Sam would be there, but at most um, just as the occasional guest star. But you, they wouldn't need to be the star of the show, which is why Sam, I, you know, if that were to be made into a show, Scott Bakula would show up for the season finale and that's it. Right, right. Well, hey, if, if it could happen, I'm sure Scott would love to do it. He says that Quantum Leap is the best job he ever had. Dean says Quantum Leap is the best job he'd ever had. They'd, they'd do it in a minute if they could get it together. But it's just it's just a question of getting it together, and mm-hmm. the people who you know the powers that be they just they just are at an impasse. So, Sean, we didn't mean to turn this into the Quantum Leap reboot show. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I was gonna add, uh, Rick, what you been watching lately? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, Rick. No, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, it actually gave me a chance to turn off my mic and turn the air back on for a little while, so I wasn't quite so hot. <laughs> so, <laughs> Rick knows how I can go on, so he knew how much time he had. <laughs> well, uh, oh, excuse me. Uh, what have I been watching? Not much, but uh, I can talk a lot about the one show I've been watching and how disappointed in it. I Well, disappointed isn't really the right word. Um, I've been watching The Orville. I got through episode four, or as I like to call it, for the world is hollow and I have touched Landrew. Um, The show could be really good, except for two things. Seth MacFarlane and the fact that they are ripping off every freaking Star Trek script ever written. Mm. Because everybody in that show with the exception of the dude at the at the navigator and Seth MacFarlane is fa- is doing a great job. They are playing it totally straight. They are acting their butts off. The the poor dude that plays Bortus has to wear, you know, 40 pounds of makeup for every episode. I love that they're dealing with with same-sex relationships and and forced uh, you know, uh, gender assignments and all kinds of things that we've been complaining Star Trek wouldn't touch. And then McFarlane gets on screen and does a dick joke. And he does the same dick joke five times in a row. Uh, And it's just, um, he's just, he's ruining his own show. Um. And I just, I, I, 
I watched uh, the fourth episode and I'm done. I can't. I just can't take it anymore. I made I, it. I made it four episodes and one act before <laughs> I got done. It was the fifth episode with Charlie's Theron. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. I think. I think. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So has has is everybody caught up besides besides Rick? I don't know if I want to spoil, but it's not really spoiling because it takes yeah, place in the I'm first act where they're literally they're literally sitting on the bridge in the middle of a duty shift watching Seinfeld on the main view screen because that happens in the yeah. 24th century all the time. <laughs> I'm sure of it. And when the robot Isaac comes out with the Mr. Potato Head parts stuck to his face, that's when I turned it off. And I said, I'm done with the stupid show. And it just reminded me of something that, that John said last week. Um, it might have been on this podcast or it might have been on the Discovery podcast, but he said, choose a pony and ride it. If yeah. you're going to be science fiction, be science yeah. fiction. If you're going to be farce, be farce. I think they chose their pony and their pony is pandering. It's pandering to all of the dumb Seth MacFarlane humor that his core audience expects from watching Family Guy for the last decade. And mm. he can't get out of his own way with that nonsense. So – as long as that persists, and it's going to persist because he's the chief creative force behind the show, he's the one in the lead, and that's the kind of humor that he goes for invariably every time, then it's always going to take you out of the show, that a show that could be good, that is tackling some pretty nifty science fiction topics, some, some controversial issues. But then, like you said, then they have to have uh, an ejaculation joke or a dog licking itself in the background or just some dumb pop culture reference like girls just want to have fun. I, it, it just, it, it can't get out of its own way. And I, I said, why am I watching this? It, it's annoying. It's anyway. I, I have to agree with uh, what Rick said about, you know, everyone doing a great job, but you're, you're, you're pulled out by uh, Seth MacFarlane as the captain and Scott Grimes as uh, the navigator or, or the helmsman, whatever. I, I still haven't figured out. I've, I've seen the, the pilot and the episode after that with the, uh, with the zoo. I, I haven't seen the episodes after that yet. My wife and I haven't had a chance to sit down and, and watch them. Uh, but from those first two episodes, one, I noticed a clear shift from the pilot to the first regular episode where it was less of the um, uh, farcical McFarlane humor and a bit more sci-fi with jokes. But they were still Seth McFarlane jokes, no mistake. And the captain and Scott Grimes will always pull you out of the scene because they they talk exactly like people from 2017 would talk and not the 25th yeah. century. Mm-hmm. Other people, yeah, they, they use modern vernacular as well, but not as much and not as uh, – oh, I, the, the word is gone. Um, Can I say uh, egregiously? There you go. That, that's it. See, see, he, he's a writer right there, folks. Um, as, as the two of them, it, it's always so glaring. It just jumps right out. I should say, hey, these guys are making 2017 dick jokes in the 25th century. Moving on. They might as well just turn to the camera yeah. and wink. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. See, um, my, my thing is that uh, I like – I can't. I'm, okay, I want to say I like Family Guy, even though I don't really watch it that much. I used to watch Family Guy all the time, and but the thing is, with Family Guy, you know what you're getting. I mean, you you know what the humor is on Family Guy. Nothing is going to surprise you that way. But this show is almost like he's trying to make two different shows, and the show that we were advertised is not the show that he's delivering, because we were advertised a star trek parody that is all comedy and what he's giving us it really makes me angry because uh, some of the stories that he's giving us are good stories but then like you said the humor that he's throwing in there takes you out of it and family guy the humor doesn't take you out of it because that's all it is is a bunch of stupid jokes 30 minutes or 22 minutes of stupid jokes but this is like here's here's some serious star trek-esque uh, plot lines and they're written by some of the guys that used to write all the Star Trek stuff that you love. You know, here's something that Brandon Braga did. Here's an episode directed by Jonathan Frakes and all of this. But then 
hey, here's this humor that you know from Family Guy. Well, not everybody that's watching this watches Family Guy, but my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's potential. There's potential in so many of these shows, but a, a lot of that potential is being cut off at the knees by the humor that Seth MacFarlane just can't help but write. If he could, if he could find jokes that don't fit in Family Guy, then I think it would be better. But an, an Orville joke is a Family Guy joke. Exactly, because there's nothing in the humor that's organic to the series. All of the humor in that series is anachronistic to the time. So that's why it pulls you out. If they could find like genuine situational comedy, oh, that's a, that's a novel concept for television, <laughs> then that show could go places because the humor would fit right in with the universe. But every joke is a glaring aside, just like Family Guy. They might as well do the cutaway. It's, it's, it's just ridiculously yeah. ham-fisted. Chris, I want to I want to hire you as as my interpreter because you're finding a way to say everything that I'm thinking, but just way better than I can. I just, articulate. I just talk a lot. I just don't know how to shut up. It's it's really nothing more than that. <laughs> After these messages, Hey, we're the Millennial Falcon Podcast, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. We're hosted by Anya Crittenton, Hai Chen Bui, and Willoughby Dobbs. The three of us met in college, bonding over Game of Thrones and Disney. While we've moved past Game of Thrones, we now bond once a week in a podcast that covers everything from superheroes to musicals to summer reading to Pokemon Go. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Falcon Podcast and listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Come for the hot takes, stay for the snark and puns. And the friendship that lasts forever. Hey everyone, I'm Christopher DeFilippis. My name is Skipper Martin. And you might know us as the hosts of 112263, an event podcast. But Skipper and I are here to announce our new podcast, which will be all about the new Hulu series, Castle Rock. Not only are we going to be covering the TV show, but we're going to be covering the Stephen King books and characters that seem to be somehow tied into the TV show. Not to mention TV movies and other theatrical movies, even the bad ones. But we're going to do it. We're going to do it, right, Chris? Yep, we're going to do it all. So Watch this space, subscribe, 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 and we will be dropping our first episode in no time. It's about a certain murderous clown. Can't wait. Can't wait. (laughs) Follow the Castle Rock TV podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CRTVpod. Visit our website at CRTVpodcast.com and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash CRTVpod. The Castle Rock TV podcast is a fractured entertainment to Flipside Media production. Hey everybody, I'm Troy. And I'm AJ. And we're the hosts of the World War G podcast. And we know Sean and John do great things, but if you need just that little bit more nerd in your life, a little bit more geek in your week, then head on over to worldwarg.podbean.com, where we talk about everything from movies and television, comic books and video games. Check us out at worldwarg.podbean.com. Back to you, Sean. Like a fool, no, I don't like you. I don't like your perfect crime. You laugh when you lie. You said the gun was mine. I wanted to talk about something since I had Chris on the show because Chris does a podcast called the Castle Rock TV podcast and they talk about a lot of Stephen King um, books and TV series and movies and stuff like that. I wanted to talk to you about this renaissance of Stephen King that we've got lately. It's insane, because, isn't it? Yeah, it's like there's there's TV shows and there's movies and every, every time you turn around there's something based on a Stephen King work. That's coming out. Some of them are good. 
some of them not so much. You know, in, historically, Stephen King doesn't translate to screen as great as it should be. There are some terrible movies out there based on some really good oh, Stephen King me, I've stories. Watched, I've watched quite a few of them in the last <laughs> uh, couple of months. <laughs> Long more, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like uh, we got recently, we had The Dark Tower, which I don't know if you've seen it. I talked to Skip a little bit of it off mic. Uh, he really liked it. I was kind of, you know, I liked it, but I was kind of upset that it wasn't really based on the book that I was wanting to go see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've also got It came out and it's like really did, did really, really well in the in the box office. And you've got the Castle Rock TV series that's coming next year. You've got Mr. Mercedes on the Audience Network. Have you watched that show at all? No, and the reason I haven't is because I've just been so busy with the stuff that we're covering for our Castle Rock podcast that I have very little time to watch extraneous Stephen King things. Yeah. Um, so when when I don't have to do Stephen King for the podcast, then I'm 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 fleeing to something new. So it's it's all of this Renaissance stuff that you're talking about. You're right. He's he seems to be everywhere you look suddenly, but I'm seeing very little of it because we're trying to figure out properties that are going to figure into the new Castle Rock TV series. And Mr. Mercedes isn't one of them. Gerald's Game isn't one of them. And as much as I want to see Gerald's Game, because everybody says it's 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 phenomenal. I just have to carve out a couple hours to do it, you know? Yeah. Well, Mr. Mercedes is uh, – it's weird because it's not something that reminds you of old Stephen King stuff. There's no there's no monsters in it. There's no there's no uh, ghost in it. There's not really a whole, whole lot of real horror elements to it. It's more of a thriller. You know, there, it's, a, it's about – you know, there's a, a killer out there and, there and the cop that's trying to find him. And but it's it's a really good show. Um, you've got uh, the mist that just got canceled. Yeah, I don't know if canceled. you guys watched that. Yeah, it. Uh, and I watched the first uh, four episodes of it, and it really wasn't speaking to me because it's like we're going to take the premise of this movie. You know that I really like the movie. It's based on a short story. You, if you, anytime you take a short story and you try to make ten episodes out of it, mm. I know you're going to be. Uh, padding it a little bit but um the the movie is about a group of people that are in a grocery store and there's monsters outside well the tv show we're going to turn it into two groups of people and one group is is in a church and the other group is in a shopping mall you know but they're but it's basically the same thing you know there's monsters outside we can't go outside (laughs) you know but uh so it wasn't really a surprise to me that, that 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 got canceled but um Stephen King kind of, to me, he's a guy that he writes a lot of stuff and he'll let anybody, he'll let anybody make a movie out of his stuff. So that's why you get, you get some movies that are really good and you get some movies that are really awful because it's almost like somebody comes to him and say, Hey, can I make a movie out of this book? Oh yeah, sure. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, you know, you can't, you can't fault an author for wanting to accept a payday and Stephen King is, he's, you know, he's. He's human being. He wants to have a long life with lots of money. Who doesn't? I don't know yeah. that you can blame him for the shoddiness of some of his uh, adaptations because even someone on a Stephen King level, once you sell the rights, you really don't have very much say in the way they adapt it. I've used this example on various podcasts before, but it reminds me of an author, Ursula Le Guin, who I love, and her Earthsea series was a sci-fi miniseries a few years ago, and it was atrocious. And she said, look, you're a writer. They want to buy your stuff. You throw your book over the wall, and they throw a couple of bags of money back over the wall at you, and then you part ways. You don't really have much say in how they interpret it and what comes up on screen. King, he he kind of took people to task in the in the 80s over that and he came out with the magnum opus Maximum Overdrive, which might be one of the worst movies of all time, written and directed by Stephen King. So, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you just you just never know. I I, th- I think what the problem is that people have they know the name, and they know that they can bank on the name, and maybe the project becomes secondary to just the cash grab. Which is why I loved the recent It adaptation so much, because they really respected and adapted the source material in a wonderful way. It wasn't just a straight regurgitation of what was in the book, kind of like that miniseries was in 1990. 
It was it was an interpretation of the story in the book that really, really worked for the screen. And that's what you need to do. But that's hard, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. make, making yeah. a good movie in itself is a hard thing. But then to take something that somebody loves so much, or, you know, millions of people love so much, and then getting that right, it's it's going to be dicey at best. So I'm just surprised that so many of these things that are coming yeah. out are being lauded instead of, like, The Gunslinger. Or a dark tower, you know, not so well received. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as soon as they came out before the movie was even released, and said, "Oh, by the way, this isn't based on the book. This is a sequel to the book." I was like, "Oh, okay." So basically, you're you're star trekking us. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're giving us a new universe, and you're giving us an explanation as to why you can do whatever you want. You know, you're not you're not basing it on what we've seen before. But uh, yeah, I know a lot of people were angry about that. A lot of people were excited about that because they say it's just another turn of the wheel. I was utterly indifferent about it because I've never been a Dark Tower fan, so I didn't have a dog in that fight. But I can yeah. understand where if you really love those books, like Skip, my partner on the podcast, loves Dark Tower. And, you know, he he had middling things to say about the movie adaptation. I know a lot of other people were just seeing red over it because it was just such a missed opportunity, especially in the light of it and how they adapted it. Yeah. And with those coming out so close together, it was just it was, it was strange because you, you've got two Stephen King properties that are well known as being Stephen King properties. And one of them is really, really good. And the other one is just kind of meh. You know, it was it was just kind of strange. But, I mean, but, we also have to take into account that when you look at the vast history of Stephen King adaptations, it is really the exception. Dark Tower is more the rule, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, like I said, there's there there's there's been some – and Dark, I didn't think Dark Tower was bad. I mean, I was entertained by it. It, it. it was a good movie. It just wasn't the movie that I've been hoping for for the last 15 years or so since I've started reading that series. Uh I think personally, I think it would have worked a whole lot better as an HBO series than a film. I think most most adaptations of books to me uh, in this current climate, I think would work better as a uh, you know limited series on television than as a feature film. I was really uh, kind of hesitant to watch Gerald's Game. I watched it on Netflix because of what the plot is. I, how do you make a movie out of that? I don't know, uh, Rick and Scott, if you guys have ever read Gerald's Game, but ba- basically the, the, the story is, I mean, the plot. I mean, I'm not going to r- spoil anything, but the plot is this couple uh, go to stay in a cabin in the in the mountains or in the woods somewhere, and uh, they're wanting to you know get their marriage back on track. And her husband handcuffs her to a bed and then dies of a heart attack. And so she's out in the middle of nowhere with nobody coming and she's handcuffed to a bed and there's a dead body on the floor. And that's that's where the story basically begins. You know, so I was really hesitant of of how they're going to take that and adapt that in a film. But it was really good. It was a really good movie. Um, Based on the trailer, I was just assuming that, you know, the the body was on top of her the entire film. No, no, it wasn't on top of her the entire film. But, you know, Stephen King-esque, if, you, if you've read a lot of Stephen King or if you've read any Stephen King, you know that the characters in the, in the stories talk to dead people a lot. So, she, you know, even though her husband dies, she still talks to him an awful lot in the film. <laughs> so, uh, but it was, it, it was really good. But, um, and it, I mean, it loosely ties to Castle Rock because it takes place during the same eclipse that Dolores Claiborne take place in, <laughs> took place in. So very, very loosely, but you can you can tie it to that if you wanted to. <laughs> I think Dolores Claiborne might be uh, on deck after we do Green Mile on Castle Rock TV podcast. So I'm looking forward to that because that's yeah. the first property that I know nothing about that we're going to be covering for our show. So I don't know if it's yeah. any good, but I'm just happy to have something new. <laughs> You know. I've never I've never seen the movie. Now I have read the book. I did enjoy the book, but I've never seen the movie. But Scott, have you been watching anything lately that you wanted to plug? Um, n- not a whole or tear lot. apart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been uh, uh, keeping up with Discovery. 
in order to, to keep up with uh, your after show, and also because it's Star Trek. Um, trying to watch Orville when we get the chance, but uh, I I like to wait until my wife and I can sit down and watch it together. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, other than that, most of my viewing takes the form of my most recent uh, Deep Space Nine rewatch, nice. which is when I will I will throw that on Netflix on my phone and just have it near me as I'm doing other things. Um, sometimes yeah. I, I have it playing in the background while I'm at work. Uh, I'll have it here on my desk when I'm working on. I've I've been working on a uh, a poetry collection. I don't write the poetry, but there are nonprofit groups in town that will uh, hire me to design the cover and then do the interior layout for the book. And as I'm, you know, toiling away on that, which is all visual, it allows me to keep an ear off to the side and listen to Deep Space Nine and be reminded <clears throat> of how Deep Space Nine started their first season. They're walking out onto the track. Eh. Second season, they are, you know, shaking out their arms and legs and they're getting their feet into the runners into the starters block season three is when they hoist themselves up with straight arms and and get their get their legs prepared and uh the guy raises up the pistol and season four is when they pull the trigger and the runners hit the track and from season four to the end of the series is them just pouring it on all the way around the track until we get to the the series finale of Deep Space Nine. I've I always forget not only how good the second half of the series is, but how much better it is than the first half of the series. Which is why DS Nine is my favorite. Um, I, the last time I did a rewatch had it was less than twelve months ago, hmm. and I'm I'm already back doing another one. I tend to have DS Nine. Next Generation, Seasons 3 and 4 of Enterprise, and 7 Seasons of the West Wing. If I need something on in the background, then I go to Netflix and it's going to be one of those. And I just kind of cycle through those <laughs> usually about once a year. Um, new stuff that I've watched is less common in the past several months. Um, we did get a chance, myself, my wife, and my stepson, we did get a chance to sit down and it was probably the third or fourth time for him, but the first time for my wife and I to watch wonder woman, uh, about two weeks ago. Um, so I finally have seen that, that movie. I haven't seen Spider-Man homecoming yet, but I finally seen wonder woman. And, um, and I was impressed. I thought, I thought they did a very good job. Definitely a breath of fresh air after Batman V Superman. Can I ask you guys, um, (laughs) If you had to choose between Wonder Woman and Spider-Man Homecoming, which wins for you? Wonder um, Woman. Well, I mean, to me, they're just, they're they're different. <laughs> because, I mean, uh, I like them both for different reasons, but uh, I think I was, a, I really like Wonder Woman, but for me, I, I think I was more entertained with, the, with Spider-Man. Hmm. And I, I, I really enjoyed the choices they made in Spider-Man, but I was far more entertained by Wonder Woman. I thought it was just a superior film. It may have been a superior film. Like I said, <laughs> I like. I mean, I, I like both of them, and it may have been a better film. I just, I, I think, I don't know. I, it, it may just be that that the MCU, I, I, I think, is just got everything lined up the way it should be. Uh, th- that Wonder Woman, that film really fixed a lot of the problems that I've been having with the DC EU, but time will tell if they, if those problems stay fixed. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, I think a lot of that is going to depend on, uh, what Joss Whedon did with justice league after he took over. Well, the trailer that they showed in Comic-Con this last weekend, I thought was, was pretty good. A lot more colorful. Um, some more humor. They're really punching up Aquaman as mm-hmm. not only a badass, but a comic badass. So I like that. Yeah. And and some of yeah. that more color is a change from what they had before. Oh, um, yeah, I, I, I've seen a shot that was in uh, the first 
full trailer for Justice League and in this newest one. And it's the exact same shot, but completely different colors. Well, I wonder if, if you saw the trailer before they had color corrected it. Maybe they were just anxious to get it out. Or maybe it was Joss coming in and saying, um, let's let's boost this up a little bit. Let's wizard of yeah. this this this. Yeah, and, and it wasn't even that wouldn't take, surprise me. It wasn't even taking the usual <clears throat> uh, you know, washed out dark color palette of a Snyder movie and ramping it up so it was a little bit more colorful. But I had like an entire color wash over everything. Instead of the the dark, I because it's Snyder, everything is always wet and dark, and shiny and desaturated. And instead of that, a scene that was clearly taking place at night outdoors. Now it was yes, they're outdoors, but imagine whatever's happening has turned the sky red, so everything is a wash in in a red glow. That's it was awful. not n- not just you know. <laughs> not just color correcting the shot but recoloring the entire shot but it was still the same footage and if that's an indication of what joss has done then i i'll be curious to see what kind of film we end up getting and i wonder if we're ever going to know the full extent of the reshoots that joss did once he came on board there'll be a book about it one day i'm sure of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah Maybe we'll get All lucky right. and there's a novelization already written based on what Snyder had. <laughs> and then we can compare yeah, uh, the final the final film to a book based on just Snyder's movie. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if uh Whedon had come along and brightened <laughs> things up. Because I mean the, the the two Avengers films that he made were pretty colorful, pretty a lot more comic book comic booky i guess is the word um than uh than anything that the dc eu had done up to that point because yeah the two superman movies and well two the two superman movies the man of steel and then batman v superman were i mean pretty dark and then uh uh for him to come along you know he would have to he not only would he have to brighten things up just because it's his style but he's definitely going to want to leave his fingerprint on it i mean he's not going to want to come in and take over and it not look like something that he had he had done but Mm -hmm. i think he he's also i think smart enough to know that a lot of the public is against the direction that the dc eu is going and yeah as a way to try to help that entire film universe so okay we we need to course correct and it would be great if we could if we could do this course correction starting at the beginning of its own film, but we need to do it right now as soon as possible. So we're going to start midway through production of this film and we're going to start that correction, try to turn it a little bit back towards something that's not just desolate and, and desperate and soul crushing. Let's try to have some fun with this like we did when I was making Marvel movies that everyone loved. Well, here's yeah. the thing, though. I, I, just because you brighten up a color palette doesn't mean that the movie's going to be better or any more fun. I mean, Age of Ultron showed us that Joss Whedon is infallible. You know, right. The first Avengers I thought was amazing. Second Avengers, not so much, and mainly because of Ultron and all of the robots that they were continuously fighting throughout the movie, like straw men. And mm-hmm. when I saw this trailer, I saw that a lot of, I guess it's Darkseid's minions before Darkseid, pe- it's Steppenwolf, I guess, that's coming. Mm-hmm. Parademons. Um, yeah. Yeah. It seems like there are a bunch of, you know, skyborne baddies that they're just going to have to fight in cutscene after cutscene. And it's it's like, are we just going to get more of this? I'm so sick of seeing superhero movies where we just have endless battles that don't mean mm-hmm. anything. With disposable minions that yeah, are exactly, and that's that all Ultron was. Far too easy to kill. Yep, and and you see this in in movies, you see this in television. I, I'm noticing it in in Star Trek. I mean, in Deep Space Nine, they introduced the Jem'Hadar as what were supposed to be the most effective and brutal killers in any quadrant. If you have a soldier that is bred for nothing but war and major Kira can take one down with her bare hands. You have a bad army. 
Well, I think that's also maybe just the, the Jem'Hadar is as strong as the script needs them to be at any given moment. Exactly. Yeah. But it, it's a, it's a symptom of the of the larger problem, which is it's very easy to create a large army of generic disposable soldiers that are either incredibly tough and can give our heroes a hard time if we need that scene to show the hero in trouble, or they can be dispatched with virtually no effort if we need the hero to look unstoppable. Yeah. And let's hope they find a balance in Justice League. I'm not hopeful because it's a DC movie, but if anything gives me hope, it's Wonder Woman. So <laughs> if, if yeah. Betty Jenkins yeah. could only come in and do the uh, do the director's the final director's cut on it, maybe it would be all right. But uh, Joss Whedon's still pretty good. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's a good place to uh, to wrap up. So, uh, listeners, uh, if you want to listen to this uh, to, to more episodes of this podcast, you can find us at CosmicPotato.com. Everything is available on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You can uh, contact us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can email us at mail at CosmicPotato.com. Chris, thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Sean. I love the show, and I'm just so happy that you asked me to be on. I really, really had a great time. Tell us about your your podcast. I am one of the hosts of the Castle Rock TV podcast. It's a podcast all about the upcoming Hulu series Castle Rock. And my co-hosts Skipper Martin and me are on every week – talking about the books, movies, characters that we think are going to somehow tie into the series once it premieres in 2018 on Hulu. We've already done five shows on It. We're in the middle of a bunch of shows about Salem's Lot. And when we're done with Salem's Lot, we're moving on to Creepshow for Halloween, and then we're going to be doing Green Mile. So plenty of great stuff to come, plenty of stuff in the can for you guys to go listen to. It's at crtvpodcast.com that's crtvpodcast.com that's our website you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and you can find us on all levels of social media at crtvpod so please come check us out alright and Scott thank you sir for being here it was a pleasure once again I appreciate the opportunity I, I don't have a podcast of my own at the moment I'm essentially a professional uh, podcast uh, guest host. <laughs> so I, I enjoy every opportunity that I, that I get. And, uh, I, I appreciate you letting me stick around for our, our second of our double header tonight. Now I, I did listen to your, you, you were on uh, Rich's show. What's the name of the, the gaming show that he's doing now? Um, well, there's, there's simply simplicated, simply syndicated, um, gaming news, I think is, is the one that he does, but, he does another. I describe it as the prime direction for video games, yeah. <laughs> um, which he calls random access memories. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, I did listen to you on that. Uh, I know you. Uh, you bought a house and everything over the last year, so you've been off mic for a while. So it's uh, it's good to start hearing you get out and and get back on uh, podcasting. You know, now, now that I have my office put together, I'm able to show up now and then. I did random access memories. Um, uh, I've di- tonight I did my second episode of the Discovery After Show doing Cosmic Potato right now and next month I am intending to show up on Simply Syndicated Movie News um, since I was one of the one of the founding hosts of that show uh, they're going to have their 100th episode next month and I'm hoping to uh, sneak in for that one cool alright well uh, this is the point where I usually say tune in and you might hear John say but John's not here. So, <laughs> so everybody, uh, be sure to join us next time on Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast, and we will talk to you then. Bye-bye.